It's good to be with you all today. We've had opportunity to sing some songs of, of faith. What need I fear when thou art near and thinkest, Lord, of me? And then this last one we sang, uh, that God will take care of you. And uh, those are good songs to sing. They help us uh, when we need God to take care of us and when we need reminded of that. Uh, today, I intend for us to spend some time thinking about Deborah. And uh, she lived at a time when it seems it was rare for people to remember that God would take care of them. And she stands as an example for us in that. In Exodus 3, 7 through 8, read, The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites. We know the story of the deliverance of the nation of Israel from captivity in Egypt. And when we think about the events involved in that, uh, we think of the hand of God being very involved, uh, powerful events, amazing things that God did uh, among the nation of Israel. He brought plagues on the Egyptians uh, so that Pharaoh would set them free. And when the Egyptian army pursued them, uh, they passed through the Red Sea, uh, and then the Egyptians, uh, trying to follow, were drowned. Uh, he provided for them throughout their time in the wilderness. He led them with a pillar of cloud or fire. Uh, and as they entered the promised land itself, this land that God promised them, said he would give them a land that flowed with milk and honey, a good land, a land where they would prosper. Uh, God did amazing things uh, still helping them enter that land, uh, the crossing of the Jordan, the fall of Jericho, uh, stopping the rotation of the earth, uh, making the sun stand still to give time for Joshua to win a battle. God does amazing things to help his people. Um, and with these amazing acts of God fresh in their memory uh, and under the leadership of Joshua, the nation of Israel remains faithful and has a good deal of success in conquering the land. And in Joshua 23:14, we find Joshua near death. He calls the leaders of the nation together and, and he gives them some direction and encouragement in Joshua 23, 14 beginning. Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. He's saying God will take care of you, right? God has taken care of you. Um, he says, Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things that have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Joshua tells them God will take care of you if you are faithful to him. But God is faithful whether you are faithful to him or not. And if you choose to rebel against him, God's going to be faithful to bring the consequences he's promised as well. And uh, this warning of God's faithfulness, it's a, it's a strange way to say it, right? It's a promise and it's a warning. God will be faithful uh, to bless them in their obedience or to punish them when they reject him. Uh, just a generation later, it seems like Israel has forgotten what God has done for them, failed to heed this strong warning that Joshua gives. And we read in Joshua, uh, uh, sorry, in Judges chapter 2, 8 through 23 in the scripture reading uh, today, 
It described this cycle of Israel doing evil and serving false gods uh, to the point that it, it raises God's anger and makes him discipline them with, with disaster and distress. He, he gives them over to other nations, other lands, to, uh, to, to cause them a lot of trouble. Um, and finally, they're reduced to the point of, of calling out to God in desperation. Uh, and then he'll bring a judge to deliver them uh, from these nations. But it seems like their obedience is always short-lived, and so we have this cycle uh, where they, they turn to God temporarily uh, because they're struggling. Uh, he helps them, and it's better for a while. And then they fall right back into the same problems as before. Uh, now turn over to Judges chapter 4. Judges 4. We'll start reading there in a moment. So here in Judges 4, we find the nation of Israel still in this, this cycle of uh, disobedience, uh, oppression, uh, and then turning to God and Him delivering them, and uh, then, then back to disobedience again, starting the cycle all over. Uh, it's been uh, about 150 years since the death of Joshua, and several judges have been provided by God already to deliver them, but they keep uh, the cycle continuing, falling subject to God's punishment. In four, Judges 4, verses 1 through 3, When Ehud, who was one of the judges, was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. That's a long time, 20 years. It's a long time for them to get the lesson, uh, to hear God working through this discipline. Uh, but once again, God raises up a judge, a leader, uh, to deliver the nation of Israel. And it just so happens this uh, judge is a woman by the name of Deborah. And so uh, I'd like to consider her uh, character and the account of her uh, role in delivering Israel. Although she was a woman, uh, this lesson isn't intended only for uh, the women. Uh, because although she was a woman, more importantly, she was a servant of God and an example of faith. And uh, the things that Deborah did in this story, uh, one of the things that's encouraging about her is they are things that are accessible to any of us. Uh, some characters we read about in the Bible, we think, well, we couldn't do that, or you know, I don't have those abilities. Uh, Deborah had faith and, and just demonstrated that faith. And so her example is one that is very approachable, I think, uh, for any of us. Regardless of our ability, each of us can be a person of faith and an encouragement of others. Um, now, the fact that God uses a woman uh, to deliver his people, I think, especially in the context of that culture, stands as a critique of the men at that time. Uh, not so much in our day, but, but in, the, in the historical context, this is uh, kind of an open critique of the men. There is no man uh, who can stand and lead God's people uh, none of them of high enough character, uh, none of them of high enough faith to do what needed to be done uh, in, in Israel. And so God uses a woman to lead. Uh, so it may be that Deborah's example actually is especially applicable to men. Uh, she's doing what a man should have been doing and wasn't. Um, so Deborah first appears to us as a prophetess and judge under this King Jabin, king of the Canaanites, that we read about just a moment ago. And in verse 4 of Judges 4, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So because Deborah was both a prophetess and a judge, uh, I expect the Israelites kept her busy, right? If they were living as though there wasn't a God, they were 
probably not getting along very well. There was lots of conflict and strife, lots of distress, and they were under the oppression of this uh, king of the Canaanites for 20 years. Uh, it had been quite a difficult time for them. But in verses 6 and 7, Deborah delivers some good news. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. This is good news, right? Uh, God is going to deliver them. Uh, this enemy who's been oppressing them for 20 years, they're about to gain freedom from. Uh, but Barak uh, replies in verse 8, He said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. We talked about this inclusion of a woman here as a leader as maybe a critique of the men. And at first reading, it looks like Barak is a, is a coward. Um, and he might have good reason to be. God's message here is take 10,000 men. That's a sizable army. Uh, but God says that I will deploy Sisera uh, with his chariots and his multitude. So uh, we'll, we'll find out later that there were 900 chariots of iron. Um, you know, that's, that's quite a, a, an array of chariots. And these were iron chariots. So they were armored, and history tells us they probably had blades on the wheel axles, so they were kind of designed to, you know, cut men down as they, as they went through a crowd. Um, and so these chariots would have been fearful. They were the tanks of their day, right? Military weapons, uh, military technology that would have been very fearful to men on foot. And God describes their infantry as a multitude. Doesn't even give them a number. Uh, must have been thousands of men in the, in the infantry as well. So this would have been an intimidating force to go up against with uh, 10,000 men. And in contrast to Sisera's army, in Judges 5, verse 8, we read that Israel, among Israel, it says, not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. So I don't know how equipped these 10,000 guys were that they rounded up for battle, but if there wasn't a shield or spear among 40,000 in Israel, uh, they probably had a hard time uh, giving these men weapons at all, let alone weapons to face a formidable army. Um, so it seems that God had set it up this way on purpose. Uh, the, the message from Deborah was, go and deploy troops. And in verse 7, and against you I will deploy. So it's as though God is commanding this army of Sisera, right? Um, Barak is supposed to deploy an army, and then God is deploying an army. It sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Because it's the enemy army. But that's exactly the way God describes it. It would be intimidating, no doubt, uh, to, to face this. Um, we just looked at Judges 4.8 when Barak tells Deborah he'll only go to battle if she does. Um, it may be that that's just to see how much Deborah believes this promise that she's just given from God. Is she, is she serious about this? Uh, is this promise for real? Um, Barak, perhaps uh, cowardly, needing a woman to go and you know, encourage him while he goes to war. Uh, but in Hebrews 11, he's actually called out as uh, in the Faith Hall of Fame, we often call it. Uh, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, 
became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Deborah isn't mentioned there, is she? But Barak is uh, mentioned as a man of faith here in Hebrews. Uh, I don't take that to mean that he's a coward. I think perhaps it was even wise that he uh, chose for Deborah to go along. Uh, perhaps he understood the advantage of having someone who could encourage and strengthen not just him, but the rest of the army. After all, remember, he's leading a force that is ill-equipped and outnumbered, not well-trained for battle, uh, likely to turn and run when they see the enemy army. And Barak knew that as a prophetess, Deborah could provide necessary guidance from God. And uh, I think most importantly, that she would be an encouragement who would help ensure both him and, and the soldiers of victory. And that's exactly what she did. Look at verses 9 and 10. Shusi said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you're taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Again, uh, the glory that might have gone to a man, maybe to Barak, is given to a woman, and Deborah makes that clear. This may be an indication that Barak was indeed a coward, and God wasn't pleased by him asking Deborah to go along. We don't know for sure. But, uh, but either way, uh, Deborah and Barak go off to do battle, uh, leading this army. Uh, so they're already the underdogs, um, and you think, well, maybe they'll at least have the element of surprise. But that doesn't last long. Remember, God said, I will deploy uh, the enemy armies. And so look at, at verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite of the children of Hobab, father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zaanim, which is beside Kedesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. So God's uh, arraying of the enemy army is working, right, through Heber the Kenite. He's given them away, given Sisera time to prepare for battle. Uh, there will be no surprise attack. The armies will uh, be faced off in full battle array. Um, so, but in that situation, Deborah reminds them that God's on their side in verses 14 through 16 of Judges 4. Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. We don't know exactly how God went before Barak, routing the Canaanite army with the edge of the sword. That's what it says. How did that, how did that play out? Was it, was it the Israelites, who maybe didn't even have swords, uh, somehow picking them up from the Canaanites and using them? We, we don't know. Uh, was this the sword of, of the Lord fighting against them? The detail's not given. Uh, but whatever happens here, it sends the Canaanite army with its 900 chariots fleeing, and uh, the whole army is wiped out. It says, not a man was left. Um, so the Israelites may have been intimidated by these iron chariots or this massive army, but God clearly has no problem at all defeating them. Uh, in the next few verses, there's an ironic twist in the story. Uh, it's an aside to our lesson, but an interesting one. Remember how Deborah said that the, the glory would be given to a woman. 
Um, and we read how Sisera escaped uh, on foot, right? He fled from his chariot. And in verse 17, however, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Remember, he was the, the traitor, right? Who <laughs> gave them away, let the enemy gather together. Um, it says, for there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires you and says, Is there any man here, you shall say, No. This is a remarkable show of kindness and hospitality, right? She offers him a hiding place in her tent. He gives him a place to lie down and in a blanket and a glass of milk. Uh, he's assured of his safety. Uh, she's so kind and caring. And then he falls asleep uh, at peace. And she goes over with a tent peg and a hammer and puts it on his temple. And his, his peaceful rest is ended. Um, she takes his life uh, with a tent peg. And so this honor of defeating the, uh, the commander of the enemy army goes to a woman uh, in a tent with a, with a tent peg and uh, fulfills Deborah's prophecy that Cicero would be delivered into the hand of a woman. So back to our main story in Judges 4, 23 through 24. So on that day, uh, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So Israel succeeds, uh, God succeeds really would be the way to say it, in overcoming the tyranny and oppression of Jabin, king of Canaan. Um, but look at the role, think about the role that Deborah had in this. Uh, it was Deborah who reminded Barak and his forces that God was with them. It was Deborah who gave them the command to attack. It was Deborah who went along, uh, perhaps giving Barak the courage to even go in the first place. She was one in a series of judges who helped deliver Israel from oppression. Uh, Ehud, you might remember, assassinated Eglon, the king of Moab, with a dagger. Uh, Shamgar used an ox goad to kill 600 Philistines and deliver Israel. Samson used the jawbone of a donkey uh, to kill 1,000 men. And Deborah, she didn't use anything, did she? Um, no weapon. We don't find her uh, directly going to battle herself. But what she did was powerful. She encouraged the ones who would be going into battle. Uh, she didn't take a weapon. Uh, she just took the word of the Lord and went prepared to offer encouragement when it was needed. I hope you're impressed by the effect uh, that this woman's faith had on, on really the course of Israel's history. Uh, because of her encouragement, they were able to conquer this oppressor uh, who had them under his thumb for, for 20 years. Um, makes an interesting study in Bible history and, and a, of a Bible character, but how does this help us today? Uh, so what, right? Well, first, it illustrates the impact that one person can have. Uh, one person who consistently and strongly provides encouragement. Not just superficial compliments, uh, but real encouragement, grounded in faith, uh, grounded in God's promises. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul gives a lengthy description of the church as a body with many different members, each having their own important role, each of them caring for the others. Paul says it's God's design that we have different strengths and weaknesses so that we learn to depend on one another. Deborah 
with a spear, may not have been the most effective uh, soldier. But Deborah, uh, there encouraging the army, was quite effective. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26, But God composed the body, having given greater honor that part with lack, that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism within the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This idea of the church, God's people together as a body, depending on one another, each of us needing each other, um, that's, that's exactly God's design. Uh, and just as Deborah wasn't well equipped to be a soldier, we're not all equipped to be uh, preachers or elders or teachers. Uh, but it's clear that we all can offer encouragement to those who are. And we can all work to encourage and help those who need to grow and to develop in those roles and other roles in the church. Like Deborah went with Barak, we need to be willing uh, to accompany, in a sense, and encourage our brethren and the people we're working with uh, any chance we get. Everyone here is engaged in a battle of one form or another. Ephesians 6, verse 12 our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Everyone here is in a battle of some sort. The battle array has been set up, right? The enemy army is deployed, and God is willing to deliver each person and defeat the enemy in their lives. But who will be the Deborah in their lives to encourage them to stand and fight when what they want to do is give up and run. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15, we read, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. You see, this idea of us needing each other is, it percolates this verse, right? Um, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Uh, we all will be in one or more of those categories at some time or another, and we'll need somebody to do those things for us, uh, to warn us, comfort us, uphold us, be patient with us. Actually, it says be patient with all, so we all need that all the time. Um, but the idea is that we are pursuing what is good, uh, both for yourselves and for all. We're thinking of others and how we can help them in, in their personal battle against evil. In Acts 14, we find Paul and Barnabas encouraging the churches that had been established. In Acts 14, this was a difficult time uh, for Christians. They were facing a lot of persecution. Uh, and in Acts 14, 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas were, were working to strengthen souls, exhorting the early Christians not to give up, uh, not to back down in the face of adversity. Uh, but even Paul himself, the great encourager, this great preacher, right? He was encouraged by others. He was part of this body that needed others as well. And in Acts 28, 15, From there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and Three Inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. It's interesting. Paul himself 
needed some help. He took courage when he saw the brethren come to meet him. We won't turn there, but, but you're familiar with the text probably in Hebrews 10 that tells us to consider one another, right? How we can stir one another up to love and good works. We need to be thoughtful about one another. How can we encourage each other? Considering one another means considering one another, like actually considering each other individually, thinking about how we can be effective uh, in the lives of, of the people that we have opportunity to influence. Romans 12 is a passage that gives us some great instruction on how to live a life that's pleasing to God and encouraging to others. Um, and as we read uh, this text of Romans 12, take note of just how many of these attributes deal with our interactions uh, with other people and the opportunities that we have to influence them for good. So just, just observe that as we read. We'll start in verse 6. How many things uh, have to do with our interactions with other people? Romans 12, verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those are powerful verses, powerful ideas. Uh, and if we live those out, if we really live those out, uh, what an amazing influence will be for good in the kingdom. And what a powerful encouragement will be to others. Being kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. If we do that, if we really do that, uh, what a difference we can make. Deborah had a tremendous impact on the nation of Israel. The words and actions of one woman affected an entire nation. And so what effect are you having on others with your words and actions? And how can you do more? How can you grow in helping and encouraging others in their faith? Uh, just imagine the effect that you might have on individuals and on the church as a whole. Second uh, point is that Deborah shows the importance of trust in God. Uh, Deborah understood God's promise to deliver Israel, and she had complete faith that he would accomplish it, despite, despite what looked like dismal odds. Um, when the military commander asked her to come along, she might have second thoughts about how successful they're going to be, right? If this guy isn't sure about what we're doing, and he's the leader, uh, are the rest of the soldiers going to be very sure about what we're doing? Uh, but she, it seems, never wavered in her confidence in, in God and what God would be doing to help them. 
Uh, and it's kind of obvious that you can't encourage someone else if you're discouraged about that same thing yourself, right? Uh, each of us need to take courage and hope from the promises that God has given us. Um, in Matthew 21, verse 21 and 2, Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. We sort of read this and we think, well, that, that applied to the apostles, right? I mean, they, they maybe could do these things, but we can't. Uh, and I think we, we sell that totally short. Uh, there were some things that the apostles could do, some of the miraculous signs that we, we can't. Um, but we have access to the same powerful God that they did. And the thing that gave them any power at all was, was praying. Jesus said, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you'll receive. And so uh, we need to have more confidence, more faith in God's goodness and, and God's work in our lives. Uh, and uh, even more in the gospel as the power of salvation. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, in Romans 1, 16, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Deborah trusted God and his promises and believed in God's power, and then she worked to instill that trust in the hearts of others. And we can do the same thing. Uh, we can ins help inspire others to have trust when they're not so sure, when they're doubting, uh, when they're fearful, when they're tempted to give up or to quit. Uh, we can help them have faith. The account of Deborah also shows us the importance of obedience to God's Word, right? She had specific instructions, uh, set up the army and go to battle. And it was obvious that they wouldn't have been delivered from their enemy if they hadn't done those things, right? That have said, oh, we, we believe God will save us, um, but we'd like to stay home, please. Uh, this, this deliverance wouldn't have happened. And so it was important that they do what God said. Uh, if they didn't go to battle, God wouldn't have delivered them. They needed to have faith, uh, which really means demonstrated faith, right? They needed to do something about uh, what they believed God would do. Uh, we are, as I mentioned, facing enemies. Uh, we face uh, opposition. But God has promised that He can overcome those things. He can free us. And like but like Israel uh, of Deborah's day, God expects some things from us. We can't just say, I believe that God will uh, help against my enemies and I'm, I'm going to go do something else now and let him take care of that. Uh, there, are, there are some things that we need to do to be working on that, uh, actions to take. And then when we do what we can do, when we obey God uh, with the things that he expects us to, he'll take care of the things that we cannot do, the things that are beyond our ability. Um, in Revelation 22, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Uh, obviously, you won't do God's commands if you don't trust him, if you don't have faith in him, but you can't just believe God and do nothing about it. Uh, you need to obey what God has given you. Uh, so do you believe that God can help people overcome sin in their lives? Uh, do you believe that God can help you overcome sin in your own life? Uh, if so, demonstrate it by acting. Do what you can do uh, to make a change, to make a difference in your life or in the lives of others, and work to instill faith in the lives of others. 
Um, our example in that, our willingness to face difficulty with faith, with boldness, can be a powerful example and encouragement in the lives of others. And then the last point is that Deborah is an example of someone who gave glory to God. Uh, we've, we've given Deborah some compliments here today, but the glory for this uh, was all the Lord's. And Deborah recognizes that in Judges 5, 1 through 3. Deborah, in Judges uh, 5, 1 through 3. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Deborah knew that Israel's deliverance was from God. It says that God routed the enemy army, right? But it wasn't just in overthrowing the enemy army that God was acting. It wasn't just his, you know, the the sword, whatever the edge of the sword was there. It wasn't just God's action in, in killing the enemies. It was His working in the hearts of the leaders. See what they sang? When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. It doesn't say, like, respect those people, right? When leaders lead, like, show them great honor. This says, when leaders lead, bless the Lord. Uh, when people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Deborah knew that this, the action, whatever action these people took that was right, was even that action was from God. God was working in the hearts of the leaders. He was working in the hearts of the people. And Deborah wanted to praise God, both for what he had done outwardly uh, in, in defeating the enemies and what he had done, probably more importantly, inwardly uh, in the people uh, who had obeyed him in faith. When leaders lead, when people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. That's not just a reason to praise those people. It's a reason to praise God. And so we need to make sure that we give glory to God for the things that He's done for us, uh, the things that He's done in the lives and hearts of others. And we can be an example, as Deborah was, uh, to others of gratitude, pointing others to God and giving Him glory. And by doing so, building their faith in God. Uh, sometimes we recognize accomplishments of people uh, without recognizing God's work in that. And so we build our confidence in people. Uh, rather than building our confidence in God. But if we recognize God's working, if we see, man, God did something really amazing there, uh, that's going to build us up and anyone else who we, we say that to, to believe that God can do something else great, uh, some, some future thing or some specific thing in their life. Uh, God can help with that too. So appreciating what God has done already is a powerful uh, key to having faith in what God has not yet done, uh, but it will if we're willing to be faithful to him. So I hope Deborah's example has been encouraging to you, helped us all look for ways to be uh, an influence and an encouragement uh, to the people around us uh, here in the church, the people in your families, in your lives. And uh, hopefully we can all be better servants of God by doing this work of encouragement. Again, it's accessible to every one of us. There's no one who doesn't have this ability uh, to be a powerful influence for good. And so... Um, I hope you take uh, this lesson as an encouragement uh, to be an encouragement. Uh, this lesson hasn't been directed at teaching uh, the gospel plan of salvation, but if there's some way you need to respond to God's call uh, for you to help overcome the enemies in your life, uh, and if there's a way that someone here can help you, the church as a whole can help you, uh, we want to do that. We want to help you uh, be delivered from your enemies as well. And so... If there's any way we can help you today, uh, please let someone know before you leave.